0: Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. Hi there.
1: Hey Leanne, how are you?
0: I'm good, thank you, how are you?
1: I'm great, thank you. That's
0: good. good. Having a busy day?
1: Yeah. Um, I, you may know this, but I, I just remind you, I um, am leaving on Monday to go to Harvard Law oh, for the week right. trained in mediation. And so um, I'm trying to, to do two things at the same time. One is to wrap up cases so that when I come back, I can go head first into doing mediation and arbitration, um, but also, of course, uh, changing my mindset. From being a litigator to being a mediator, and so those two uh, events are going on in my mind, and uh, it's actually very exciting, um, but also very demanding.
0: Oh, I'm sure. So, are you moving completely away from, lit- from litigation, and you're moving like strictly into doing mediation and arbitration, or are you just talking about for like the upcoming, you know, time at the course?
1: So, I um, I've been doing basically high conflict divorce litigation for 30 years. But in the last 10 years, I've been doing mediation that isn't more than say 10% of my practice. So what I'm looking to do is to reduce the litigation and increase the uh, the mediation and the arbitration side of it. And it's not gonna be an overnight event. It's gonna, it's gonna sort of ebb and flow and, and morph. Um, but my intention is to be sort of more assertive about declining litigation and accepting mediation because the the longer I've been doing litigation, the more work I get as a litigator. um, And it's very hard to decline it when people are constantly knocking at your door. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to be more diligent in declining it um, and, and more vocal about receiving the mediation work.
0: Well, I think that's amazing. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, this course sounds fabulous. And uh, I, I think that that's a great uh, step for you. So uh, we'll have to have that as one of our topics uh, yes. on our, our lives. Actually, I think possible. maybe
1: next week we'll talk about, because I'll be actually stepping out of the classroom at Harvard Law next Wednesday for our class, for our RG Live. and uh, And I'd be more than happy to share thoughts on you know, uh, mediation lessons from Harvard.
0: I think that'd be fantastic. So for listeners, you already hear what our topic's Mm. gonna be for next week. So please make sure you join us. It'll be a really great live.
1: Okay, so today is an interesting topic. Um, You know, for years, we lawyers, judges, mediators, and social scientists talk about divorce as though it's an adult matter. And it's all about the adults, the adults' issues, the adults' conflict, Sometimes the adult's conflict is all about parenting because the parents don't agree on various things. But today's topic is what is the role of the child in divorce and do children have a say? And as crazy as it is, it's something that has not really been given a lot of consideration in the work that we professionals do in handling divorce. And so today is the day what we're going to talk
0: about. So, uh, what are your thoughts on that subject leanne uh, Well, I think it's an important uh, subject because you know divorce uh affects children significantly, and um, you know sometimes um, unfortunately, we see situations where uh parents aren't always putting the best interests of their child first um, and you know that can be a concern and sometimes um you know it's interesting. T- in certain, uh, with certain parents, I think they very much listen to what their children say and and want to give their children a voice and then other people have a parenting approach that well, they're the children, the adults should decide and the children shouldn't have a voice. So I think that our discussion today should be helpful for for people to at least understand from a legal perspective, um, you know, do the, can the children have a voice? Should they have a voice? And do they have a voice?
1: So let's start with basic law. So under the Divorce Act and under the Children's Law Reform Act, uh, all decisions that are made by judges and, of course, by mediators and lawyers who are involved in the process regarding parenting issues um, involve a legal test called the best interests of the child test. The best interest of the child test includes a long list of factors, um, and one of not the only one but one of the factors is what are the child's views and preferences if they can be reasonably ascertained and so right away I want everyone to understand that what a child says is not dispositive of the outcome so let's first talk about what is the outcome or what is the issue so the issue oftentimes is broken into two categories one what's the parenting schedule for these children now that their parents are no longer together that's issue number one issue number two is who makes the decisions regarding the children's health education religion and general welfare which recently in the last few years has blown up on the subject of health care visa be the subject of immunizations and vaccinations. So those are the two large scale categories, schedule and important decision-making. And so when it comes to those, the law says, well, before a judge can decide what's the right conclusion, we need to determine what's in the child's best interest. And so oftentimes where the parents are involving us, they're involving us because they don't agree. And if they don't agree and then we can't convince the other side to agree what what our client's view is so then we go to people like parenting assessors who are psychologists and social workers who study the subject or we go to the office of the children's lawyer to get a clinical investigation or we go to the office of the children's lawyer to get a legal representation of the child in other words a lawyer assigned to the child but if we don't do any of those then we simply go to court we argue the case and the judges will make a decision based on What is in the child's best interest? And one of the factors is, what does the child want? But how do we know what the child wants? And as a result, we can have parents saying, what, uh, I spoke to Junior and Junior told me he wanted this. And the other parent says, no, 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 told me this other thing. So then we have this whole debate. How do you know what the child wants? So then we've created this other tool called the Voice of the Child Report, where we assign a social worker, usually sometimes a psychologist, to go and meet with the child a couple times sometimes while the child is with mom, sometimes while the child is with dad, in order to make sure that there's no undue influence, to write a report indicating what the child has to say on the discrete subject, whatever that subject might be. Do you want to have a vaccination? Do you want to go to overnight camp? Do you want to live with your mom or with your father? Um, or do you want to move with your father who's moving now four hours away and mom says, no, you want to stay here? So. We've got this whole new area of law, which is a sub area of family law, which is a sub area of parenting law, which is now, what does the child want? And so it's become quite an interesting topic because do we want to know what the child wants or do we not? And if we do, how do we get it without causing this child trauma? And do we involve the child and then interview the child or do we bring the child into a mediation does a judge ask to sit down with the child in the judge's office in the middle of a trial where their parents are in the courtroom I mean these are really high level questions that involve law psychology social science academia and to say that we have it all solved would be a falsehood. We don't. And uh, there's lots of cases where the judges themselves are just not sure what to do with it. So, but we do have tools, lots of tools. And in some cases they work and in some cases they don't. And um, so then the concept is the law says the children should have a role in this. To what extent is really a matter of, of process, functionality, age of child, development, stage of child, you know, a kid could be 14 years old, but could be a very immature child. A kid could be 17 years old, uh, or excuse me, 12 years old, but very mature. So it really depends. Um, you yourself, Leanne, have you had situations where in your cases you've had to involve either the child directly or indirectly through another professional?
0: Oh, many times. Um, I've had many cases where we've gotten voice of the child reports um, and often they're very helpful. Um, They do have limitations because um, it's not the same as a Section 30 assessment where, you know, it's done over a lengthy period of time and there's multiple meetings and there's consultation with, you know, other people in the child's life, it, it, as Steve mentioned, it it's just, you know, it's usually a couple of interviews with the ch- the child or the children. Um, and so, you know, it can be difficult sometimes to truly ascertain the full situation. So in, in cases where um, there might be a parent, you know, influencing a child, um, you know, cases certainly where there's alienation allegations, but, or even just influence, um, sometimes uh, a voice of the child Report you know is not going to be encompassing enough to be able to get behind that um, but i've i've had voice of the child reports where you know the the person writing it will make a notation that you know certain comments were made by the children and they're not sure. Um, Whether they've been influenced or not, they're not, they don't have sufficient, you know, within the scope of what they're doing for the voice of the child report, they're not able to comment on that. And so sometimes that kind of comment can raise a flag for a judge potentially, Um, but often they are very helpful um, because, you know, lots of children can be very articulate about what their wishes are. And um, in cases where the parents are having a lot of disagreement over, you know, what schedule, what the schedule should look like, or, you know, who should have primary residence or who should be making, you know, healthcare decisions and that sort of thing, the wishes of the children can be very persuasive. And, you know, I've I've found in those types of cases that um, the voice of the child report can actually be that extra thing that you know, pushes a judge's decision um, one way or the other, favorable or unfavorable to my client. So they are very important, very persuasive, but there are limitations.
1: Yeah, and so you know, just to make the argument for and against the involvement of children, um, you've got a strong camp of parents and professionals who believe that these children never ask for their parents to split up. And they would love nothing more than to be fully insulated from the problem and not be asked, not be involved, and not be feeling like they're responsible for what might come out of their parents' divorce. And so there's a strong camp that believes that the children should not be interviewed. They should not be asked. They should not be put in the middle of their parents' dispute. On the other side of it, you've got another camp that strongly believes that this is all about the children. And if it's all about the children, if there is a way to involve them and to ascertain their wishes without in any way causing them discomfort or trauma or feeling like they're taking sides, then certainly knowing what they would like is giving honor and value to the children's role in really What is all about the children in any event and how this family ends up living after separation and divorce should reflect and be cognizant of the children's views and preferences. So as you can see, there's two very strong camps on the subject Um, and, and of course comes the law. And then we've got some judges in Ontario that are not former family law lawyers and they are, let's just say, uncomfortable with the notion of meeting with the child. And then you've got other judges that had been doing work that you and I have been doing for many, many years and have interviewed children in the past and have the skills and feel like like involving the child might be useful. And then you and I, as mediators and as parenting coordinators, um, some, there's a whole growing area of mediation that's called uh, child-centered mediation, whereby it's all about the children and the mediator, who is usually a softie, will be the one that sees the child and, and tries to understand what works and doesn't work for the child in order to be able to then go back to the table with the parents and say, look, I met with Junior, who is, by the way, lovely, and he loves both of you. Um, and the issue that you 're having um, from junior 's perspective um, could be resolved in a way that suits her or him in a particular way and here 's how it is and that may very well like you just said leanne be a uh, determinative of the issue and and allow the parents to respect their child 's role in this new chapter of their life so it's a it 's a very It's a it's a very um, controversial uh, and sensitive subject, Um, and it's um, it's one that I don't think it will ever have a conclusive answer as to what we do in all cases all the time
0: no it's something that i think for each family is something that needs to be decided you know specific to that family and specific to the the children and you know certainly as children get older and into their tweens and teens um you know the saying has always been that um when you're deciding upon a schedule that you know those children their feet will do the walking you know it's hard to make a 15 16 year old follow a schedule that they don't want to follow if they always want to be at dad's house and the schedule says they need to be at mom's the kids that age can you know they can go on ttc they can walk they can do whatever they can get to dad's if that's what they're wanting to do or vice versa. So, you know, in those types of cases, um, you know, these types of voice of child reports can be, you know, very helpful, um, in, in getting that voice for the, for the child. And, and some children feel very, um you know validated by being able to to express their their preferences and whatnot and then you know again for other children they they don't want to be involved they don't they feel they don't want to be put in the middle of their parental conflict they love both their parents they don't want to say something that could hurt Either parent potentially and you know the reality is is I think it's very hard for children to go and meet with a stranger however well trained uh, the person may be who's doing the voice of the child report what however empathetic and caring they are and and, you know child focused, for a child to go and meet with this person they don't know they've never met before and then open up about the two people they probably love the most in their life and express preferences or viewpoints um that can be very stressful and very hard for a child so you know this is again reasons why uh this type of thing is is very controversial and there's strong opinions on both sides of it
1: and in fact it could actually um, lead to a significant amount of um, partisanship and influence so if the parents know that the child will be interviewed by an independent professional Um, although everybody would agree it's not a good idea to brainwash the children and to really suck them into the toxicity of the parental dispute. Even though people can agree on that, in real-life terms, it happens. So, you know, the child is living in a home, and the mom or dad might be on the phone with their friend or their family member talking about their divorce. And although the child might be upstairs in their bedroom, the child sometimes can hear it. Um, Or the child sees what goes on when there's a pickup and a drop-off or an exchange, and they might be fighting about something. And in the last few years, I've had a number of cases that involved, for example, vaccinations or relocations, or should the child play uh, rep hockey. And in many of these cases, the children are involved in it. So the child knows that mom is dating a guy in Texas, and she wants to move to Texas. This is, not, this is not a secret to the child. So when the child is asked, do you wanna stay with your dad in Ontario or move with your mom to Texas? It's very easy to understand why the child's views could be very significantly influenced by what the child hears either directly from the parents or indirectly by overhearing things. Or how about the vaccination issue? I mean, the reality is there's been a number of cases, many cases in the last few years uh, on the subject of the COVID vaccination where the child has said in a Voice of the Child report, I don't want the vaccination. And then when asked, how do you know why? The child will sometimes quote what they heard. And then the question becomes, well, where did you hear that from? And so this then leads to the influence that might occur where the child is living, which is either with mom or with dad or with other people in the family. And then the most recent one that I had, which was a voice of the child report on this young girl who dad wanted the child to play rep hockey. Mom says, I'm good with my child playing hockey, but she could play house league hockey because house league hockey is just one game a week. whereas." Whereas um, rep hockey is every Saturday and Sunday, there's a game. There's a there's at least one or two practices during the week out of a seven day week. That's four days that we have to drive around town to various different arenas for games, tournaments and practices. And we already have cut our lives in half because the the child goes back and forth every other two days and then to have four days of hockey superimposed on it. And in any event, the child is conflicted. So this went the root of a voice of the child report and poor little girl had to say, well, I know my mom doesn't want me to be in hockey four days a week. And I know my dad really wants me to be in hockey all the time. And I kind of like hockey, but I kind of don't want my mom to be upset and we put this little girl in the middle and so at the end of the day was it a good idea to involve the child on should they move to texas should they have a vaccination should they play rep hockey i think that at least in my case the jury is out i'm not sure i would want to be that eight-year-old kid that is interviewed about the issues that my parents are fighting about
0: now I would tend to agree with you. I think that in, in certain cases where Uh, You know, a child may, uh, you know, not have a great relationship with one parent and has some very strong preferences on certain things that in that type of case, it it may be helpful for the child to feel like they're having a voice and and it's being heard. But in in cases like the ones you just mentioned, Steve, I think we are putting a child in a very difficult situation. And, you know, no child wants to feel like they're having to choose between their parents or that they're going to upset or disappoint either of their parents. And so, we need to be really mindful of that when we you know make a decision to seek out a voice of the child report
1: yeah you know it's funny I um, I I served as a children's lawyer for the office of the children's lawyer many years ago for about eight years and uh, my job would be to go out and meet with the child at school not necessarily at a parent's home because the idea being is if I met with them at school they're not gonna have the influence of their parents right there, and they're gonna feel more comfortable being able to speak with me openly and, and privately. And so then I would go to court and I would tell the judge what the child's position was, um, which in effect really was, uh, it was informed by what their views and preferences were, but it would always be presented to the court as the child's position on the subject is. And, uh, and, and I remember every once in a while, I had a child client who would say to me, I want to go to court. I want to tell the judge what I want. I don't want you to tell the judge. I want to. And I would have to explain to the child, you know, the courts are not really built for children to come and talk to the judge. But going back many years, there were cases where the judge actually met with the child in chambers. Um, rarely, but it happened. And, um, and in some cases, it actually was a good thing. It empowered the child. It actually um, demystified the parental dispute because the judge, in some cases, you know, went into the office, took their gown off, sat beside the child and said, look, you know, your parents love you both very much. And, uh, you know, I have to make a decision because they themselves, they love you so much. Um, and they both want what they think is best for you, which is really great. But, but there's parts of it they don't, they don't agree on. It's okay. I'm going to be the one that makes the decision, like, like the tiebreaker in a game. Um, and I'd like to know, what do you think about blah, 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 blah. And then so it actually sort of lowered the temperature. But again, happens very rarely. And, uh, and from a social science standpoint, the very subject of involving a child is, uh, is still very much um, a toss-up in terms of pro versus con um and it's funny because i once went to a lecture on the very subject and and the name of the lecture was children have a voice but not a choice and i thought that was a very interesting way to call the lecture um because really what we're saying is that they have um they have a voice and we should listen but the decision has to be made by the adults
0: well said Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Thanks, Steve. And we will see everyone here again next week, where Steve will be coming live from uh, Boston, Harvard. Uh, So we'll have a great episode for you next week.
1: Right right on. Bye, everybody.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.